so we have a project. We have a project. We call it OM Champion Project. Hello, this is the Marseille View and I am your host Stefan. Welcome back to the show everyone. We've got plenty to update on as the club continues to make the headlines which is relatively normal for us. Um, so we'll be covering the recent games against Nice and Nantes and then spending some time discussing everything, everything that's been happening between the club and the supporters groups who are currently at war. Um, so we'll look at that in a bit more detail and what kind of resistance is underway led by supporters. Tonight, as always, by my side, I've got Ben. How are you, Ben? Good. Um, a bit tired after all of the activity last next last week, sorry, but we'll, I'll update you on that later. Brilliant, thank you. And secondly, we've got a new guest tonight, so William, who's dialing in from Melbourne, I believe, in Australia. How are you, William? Hey, good morning, guys. I'm very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, William, as it's your first appearance on the show, it's sort of customary that we ask our guests to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and and how you came to be an OM fan. Uh, is there anything you can share with us about your story? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, uh, Steph. So the um, so my name is William. I I was born in Marseille uh, before moving to. Uh, so I lived in France and Marseille for uh, twenty five years. I've uh, been a Marseille fan since two thousand and two. Around that time, uh, my first match was uh, OM Lens in 2002. Uh, we won 1-0 and, you know, going to the Velodrome with my family, my, my father, my, my grandparents was a, an amazing experience. And from that, uh, I, uh, you know, yeah, I'm loyal to my club, as, as everyone says. You know, you're usually, people say you're more loyal to your club than to your, to your wife sometimes. <laughs> I think the... Uh, so I fit in that category, um, and uh, yeah, I've been uh, I'm passionate. So you know, my uh, my mood is set by uh, you know the the club uh, performance, and obviously, as you can imagine, for the last uh, I don't know year or six months, I've been uh, pretty affected by uh, you know the, the how the situation of the club is uh, is doing, and 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 that's one of the reasons why I'm here, and when we created the group, so, which we'll talk about. Uh, in a minute. Thank you. Um, it's really good then to have someone local um, on the show, actually, given the topics that we're going to explore later on. It's good to have that kind of local perspective or someone who's from the, the region. Yeah, so you mentioned about your group Australia. I'm not going to ask you too much because I know we're going to delve into this topic a bit later on, but I was just kind of curious to know about, you know, how is there a lot of Marseille fans in Australia? I wasn't really aware. I know Jeremy comes on our podcast, but other than Jeremy, Jeremy, I wasn't aware <laughs> that there was uh, much of yeah. a community there. 
Yeah, no, look, the, it's, it's, it's interesting. So there's a few things to realize. Uh, Australia, as you know, is, is a huge country. It's like a continent, right? So if you, do, if you fly from Perth to, to Brisbane, there's like five hours flight. Um, however, there's a huge uh, Maasai fan base in Australia. There's probably thousands, and I'm, I'm not actually exaggerating, there's thousands of uh, Maasai fans in, in Australia. However, the, the change we have in Australia is, as you said, it's, as I said, it's a big country, uh, very fragmented. Um, you know, the, um, the time difference in Australia, depend, depending on the cities, is, is also pretty big. And obviously, the time difference with France is really um, uh, difficult and very uh, uncomfortable as well sometimes. As you can imagine, you, last game against um, Nantes, the game started at 3 a.m. Some usually it started at 5 a.m. On a, on a usual day of 6 a.m. So you can imagine that uh, you know, having people all together as a group to watch the game is difficult. So you... you so you see a lot of people that are actually just uh, leaving their passion and following their club by watching TV at home in the morning or by actually going to work. I know a lot of friends, they, they work in a hospitality or in, in bakeries and they actually watch the game while they work. So it's a bit hard to, to, to have people around and enjoy the game together. So what we did is we, knowing that we actually decided to create a group to actually gather and, and, and bring a, b a bit more unite, uh, unity in, in Australia, around Marseille. Um, and obviously, we, we took the, uh, the recent uh, events to, to actually um, you know, get that going and said, hey, guys, we have to do something. We can't let this go. We are in Australia. Obviously, it's far away. But we, love, uh, we all love our club, and we just can't let uh, you know, the uh, Agora project happen. And we, we have to do something. And that's how the uh, OM Australia uh, OM Australia was created. Uh, we actually created it last week. <laughs> Some people thought we were there for years and we are not even, you know, labeled OM Nation, but we, again, there's a bigger, you know, community here and, um, and, uh, and people are really happy. We got a lot of messages from people saying, hey, thank you so much, guys. Like, we, 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 it was something missing in Australia to have a, a, a Marseille base and and obviously, you know, being in Melbourne, we, 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 we have a lot of people are already, uh, you know, act, very active in our group. And uh, we, we are just at the early stage now. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting uh, journey. And, and we're really happy to, to, to be in that position now. And hopefully our actions will, will benefit the, the club as well. That's great. Um, no, that's um, I understand, and I, I know from when Jeremy comes on the show, like he's he's told us before about having to watch the games at silly hours and uh, and stuff. It's crazy. I I kind of know what you mean actually, because I mean not many people remember this in the UK, but about would have been about fifteen years or so ago, maybe more than that. Um, the the only coverage of league I used to get back then was. Um, games that were shown at like three in the morning repeated like the sort of Sunday night fixture I think I used to get it I was on channel five in the UK and they would show it like say on a Tuesday or a Wednesday at, like three two three and four o'clock in the morning it was usually always Marseille that were playing in the Sunday fixture and yeah I used to stay up and watch those games just because I wasn't you know I wasn't really getting to see the matches and it was kind of like it was quite a long time ago, so it was kind of like before it became really easy to stream things um, online. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I can remember that. Um, 
But yeah, luckily I was um, not really doing much else at the time, so I wouldn't be able to do that now. <laughs> but yeah, um, so no, I admire um, your dedication for that. Um, okay, so we've got a few things to, to talk about, a couple of games since we last podcasted. So just thinking, we're going to start off with the Nice game. Now, so this game was um, midweek, wasn't it? So we came up against Nice, away from... No, at home, sorry. And um, slightly different formation that we put out, different um, players in attack. And we... It's, I think it's fair to say that we put in quite a positive fo- performance for, for the most part, wouldn't you say? We got a win, guys. We got a win. And um, I think I think more than anything, I was, I was very happy with the lineup, um, just because we'd all sat through... The, the Bordeaux game, which was yet again Germain, yet again um, sorry uh, Benedetto, and you sort of you just knew that we couldn't continue with that. Unfortunately, against Bordeaux, in a way, Benedetto got sent off, so he was out of the game. Whatever happened, um, but yeah, it was just really nice. It was just really refreshing to see Payet in that number ten role. Um, he, he wasn't perfect the whole game, but he started well. Kawi was a breath of fresh air. He was always dangerous. Yang, his positioning was that of, of what you would expect of a classic centre forward. He really held the lineup high and, you know, was right on, on, on the backs of their two centre backs. So it just enabled the whole team to play higher up the pitch. And that's why we, we scored in the first half. We, we were just all over them. They couldn't, they couldn't keep hold of us. Wouldn't you say that we were playing with a, a better tempo in the attacking third than what we've seen? throughout the season and last season even as well. Like there just seemed to be a little bit of spark there. Some nice link up play. Yeah, just the attacking players kind of seemed like as well that they were on the same wavelength at times, which is something that we don't see very often. You know, they just seemed like there were some things that were going on, maybe in training, that was that we were actually seeing the fruits of on the pitch. So yeah, wouldn't you say that we kinda of seen seen some glimpses of some some promising and exciting stuff. Yeah, I, I I agree with you with Ben. Like it, it was a refreshing game. Uh, you know, looking at you know looking at the um, at the team that we we put uh, on on the pitch. It was it was nice to see uh, you know Kawi, for example, you know coming back finally after two years of being on the bench. Uh, finally, uh, you know having a chance to play and and scoring two goals and doing a a, a good performance. Um, and obviously, you know, having pay in number ten is also something that we all expected for for months. Um, I never really understood why we were putting pay on 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 the left wing. Um, but let's not forget, guys, that you know it was Nice against us. <laughs> and uh, you know, if you look at the at the uh, rank right now, the ranking Nice is uh, is sixteenth right now, and they have lost most of their games. Uh, so. Um, Yes, it was a refreshing game, but the um, you know the the whole performance and especially at the end was was getting a bit uh, difficult. Um, and uh, and Nice is is not the uh, the most performing team at the moment as well. So uh, let, let's uh, keep that into perspective, especially when we're going to talk about the next game against Nantes. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly that. Yeah, it's a good point because Nice as well, they were missing their two centre-halves, weren't they? I think Saliba and um, Todibo were missing. So they were playing two, yeah, two defenders that, you know, that don't, aren't normally in the first 11. 
So it was real, yeah. And they had a lot of other players missing as well, I believe, didn't they? They had like Dahlberg and who else? Adelaide's yeah. out, isn't he? It, it was just really odd because it was, a, it, well, it was, it was a game of, of, well, you can't say two halves, but it was a game of two teams because the minute, you know, we came back out after half time, got that third goal. Um, but the minute that we put Germain and Sauvage the team just stepped backwards by 20 metres. You know, the whole block was playing lower. I mean, I understand that you've got to hold the result, but you sort of felt, it was the type of game you sort of felt that we'd been, we'd looked that confident and free-flowing. We could have gone for the kill and got a fourth goal and, and finished it off. But we, instead, we just stopped playing football, stepped back, invited pressure as we always do. And lo and behold, Nice got a second goal four minutes from the end. Um, we think we all shat ourselves when when that free kick hit the post, hit Mondanda and didn't go in the net. You know, and, and it was just a very edgy end to the game when it should have been a lot more comfortable than that. Yeah, absolutely. It was a horrible last five or so minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think I'll ask you very quickly then before we move away from this game is just well, who was your top and who was your flop from the Nice game? Um, yeah, I mean, from my perspective, the uh, you know. Kawi was was definitely the, the best um, player, you know, with two goals and you know his, his the intensity he put and all the uh, effort and and the commitment that he put on on the on the pitch that was pretty pretty good. Um, and having Paye as well number ten uh, is uh, refreshing too. I'm not saying that Paye did a great or uh, full great performance, but you know it's. Much better to have Paye number ten, given his uh, his uh, you know his skills and you know his experience, than having Paye on on the left. Um, and then for uh, you know the uh, the the, the, um, the um, you know the the, uh, the non-performing non non-performing guys, uh, I would put the uh, you know the defense, um, you know the. Yeah, the defense was pretty poor. Um, yeah, I don't have much to say honestly on that game as well <laughs> because it's been a, it's been difficult well, me, to, me to follow them. <laughs> yeah, me, me neither. I think I'll I'll agree with with um, with William on on both points. Um, I think Chaletta Tsar notably looked very fucking shaky. Um, he, he was just—he didn't look like he was—he he was concentrated, or or he looks—he even looked like he was nervous at points, which was odd. Um, but definitely, you know, we we we're not going to praise him often. So full praise to to Saifuddin Kawi for for his goals, his all-round performance, his energy, um, and just you know, it was really refreshing seeing his his genuine joy at the end. He looked like a kid who scored a, a goal for his dream dream team and. He was really happy, and I think it just put a smile on all our faces. But sadly, it was short-lived. Yeah, um, I think for me, I would just say that I'm not going to pick Kawi. Actually, I know that's the obvious choice as the top, but um, I would say that I, for me, is Luis Enrique. I just I really like what I see with this kid. I, I see that there's a lot of talent there. Um, very much a rough diamond, but I, I think he's could be something special if managed correctly. Um, and yeah, there was just some nice runs, some nice. Um, you know, like nice wing play from him that I got me a little bit excited. So I, I'd be, yeah, I'd pick him as my top um, for that reason. And for my flop, 
Yeah, I probably agree with you, Ben. Chaleta Saar is actually worrying me a lot this season, not just in that game, but I, I do feel that he's not been having a great season. He just doesn't look as um, assured at the back. He's not solid. And even I know he still is a very good footballer, but even some of his passing as well, I've noticed has been a bit wayward throughout the season. And, and, and in that game... Was it, it was one of his poorer games, I think, even though it, as a team it was one of our better games recently. So yeah, I would probably say agree with him. He's one that maybe his head's been a bit turned by the recent transfer interest he'd had um, in the January window or something like that as well. Maybe that's probably a factor. Do, do, yeah. Do you think he, he regrets not uh, taking the plane to, to Liverpool? Come on, guys, wouldn't you? Come on, wouldn't you regret? Come on. No, because I support Marseille. <laughs> <laughs> I would be gutted. Like if I were if I were him, I would be gutted. Uh, you know, he was literally at the airport in Marignan waiting for his to to take off to Liverpool, and last minute the club uh, rejected the offer. So, uh, you know, if I were, it's gonna be difficult for him to to finish the season with us and and focus on on us. So um, I actually don't understand why the club didn't sell him. But I don't think it was enough money, was it? Because it wasn't that much more money than what they paid for him, I think, a couple of years ago. Because it was like $24 million or something like that, I think. And they paid like $19 million or something like that. Is that right, Ben? Do you remember? We paid 19 plus three. Yeah. But, but I think to, to William's point, I think we may... I think the impact, the, the damage is done, and we may regret that when we receive offers under twenty million this summer. So it's a bit to Morgan Sanson, wasn't it? A couple of years ago, wasn't the interest? I don't know if there was ever an offer, an offer as such, but I remember when we, a couple of years ago, at the end of the summer, there was interest, and there was talk about West Ham bidding thirty million or something like that, and he never went because the club were trying to. Um, squeeze out as much money as they could possibly get and now they've sold them for less than half of what they were trying to get back then exactly I mean yeah G- given the, the current situation for the European football you know with Covid and, and the TV rights and, and Brexit you know missing a 20 plus million dollar offer from Liverpool is a is a massive mistake and I would not be surprised if next uh, summer uh, transfer season we we end up selling Kaletaka for 15 million to uh, to West Ham um, or another club. But yeah, I, I hate to say it, but I agree with you. I think you're probably right. I think that is what will happen. Okay, so moving on from the Nice game, then just going to um, Saturday's match against Nantes. This wasn't quite as um, uplifting as a performance. I mean, maybe being a bit generous about the Nice game, but the game against Nantes wasn't as positive, was it? It was a little bit more like what we've been used to in recent weeks, wouldn't you say? It, it was worse than that, Steffi. It was, it was just fucking long balls, mate. It was, I, it was like watching a League One game or a League Two game. Who's it from the sense about? And, and granted, look, not sitting deep, you, you know that you're not necessarily confident enough in the build-up play to, to get, you know, to, to combine in, in short spaces in front of their area and stuff. But we, we just reverted back to what we've seen, which is a gap between the midfield and the attack that 
that Payette was supposed to be filling again in that number 10 role. But it was it, we were just hoofing it up to Jeng and hoping he would get on the end of it in the first half. It was, there was just nothing, nothing. It was awful. <laughs> Look, it was, imagine for us in Australia, waking up at 3 a.m., you know, being, we had a momentum with Nice, you know, it was, a, it was a previous game where it was really refreshing and we were, we all hoped that the, we will continue that momentum for the ninth game. And uh, yeah, the whole game super frustrating. Passes, passes, no, 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 no chances. Um, obviously, you know, the, uh, the the mistake from Mandanda was uh, <laughs> it was just like the uh, a funny time. But you're like, what is going on? <laughs> and then uh, obviously we we had a bit of. Um, you know, excitement when we saw Payet's goal, um, and we all hoped that we would uh, score another goal. But unfortunately, uh, one of those games where it's it's you know a déjà vu time where you nothing is happening, and you know the um, yeah you you just can't 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 watch that that kind of type of performance. So I don't have anything to say about this game again. Again, it's it's a déjà vu game. We've seen those games many times. We unfortunately we used to win those type of games. Now we actually don't even win that. So um, I think that's that's the sign of a team though that are not in a good place because when you're grinding out game points, where well we did get a point, but when you're grinding out wins where you're not playing well, um, there's, 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 it's usually a sign that there's you know a, a a good strong collective spirit within the team, and we completely don't have that this season. So those kind of games where we should be able to nick something even when we're not playing well because the opposition isn't very good or isn't really a threat, we're not actually even able to win those games and we're often losing those kind of games. Um, So it really is indicative of how poor the morale is amongst the the squad, I think. Um, But also perhaps maybe because we don't well we don't have a we don't have any captain in, in the ship we don't have a manager so we tactically and i think you could see that in this game is that we weren't really able to make the adjustments quick enough when they needed to be made so a lot of the substitutions came quite late as well um for example like Lirola, who's been really good in recent last couple of appearances hadn't he and where's he he doesn't come on until like after Sakai gets sent off in like the what the ninety something minute. It's just so yeah. So there's lots of things like that where I thought mm, I don't know if the if Nasalagi is um, able to make the necessary changes at the right times and see what's not working and how he can and and have a solution to resolve that. You're right. Um, I, I think that, and, and I guess let's move to the takeaways because there's so little else to discuss. Um, my two takeaways are actually mini rants. Um, so the Sampaoli rumours have, have, have intensified and it's 99% done. I think he's actually just said his goodbye to, to Minero, Atletico Minero today. It's just come out on Twitter. So he is our next manager. Um, the, the Canal Plus um, pundits last night were all pissing all over this decision saying, oh, why not give it to Lager till the end of the season? He's a good guy. He's done a good job. And part of me thinking, is this, you know, are you being sarcastic because you're happy to see OM struggling like this? I've seen a or lot of genuinely... generally say that, not just 
can help us. Pierre, Pierre Ménès, um, you know, Laure Boulot, Duff, loads Duffy, of them. Yeah, loads of them. It's like, what, what the fuck are you guys smoking? What are you smoking? This guy doesn't, never wanted the job. He's not coached for years. He's always been open about the fact he's just filling the gap. What are you on about? How can a manager who's coached the Argentine national team in Sevilla and and all of that <laughs> not be better than what we're seeing now? I know why. Guys, he's, he's French. French. <laughs> he's French. He talks very well. He's very polite. He, when he's interviewed, he he seems to to know what he's talking about. That that's what they expect. You know, they also the French. You know, there's a French. Uh, you know. Um, group of in in the French movement, you know, in France, you know that is that is trying to defend the uh, the French interest. You remember Domenech and and you know all the you know the the, the, the journalist and and consultant from L'Equipe and and Canal Plus. They all try to defend their interest, and uh, they are every time there's a new coach in Marseille or in Ligue 1 that is not French, they will go after him. Well, we, we talked about that in the past in the pod, I think a long time ago, about a kind of um, bias against French coaches and, and well, other um, staff in the game, because I think, I think it was when we were talking about Zubi Zareta last summer. Um, but actually, Laggy's not French, I think he's Moroccan, is he not? I, I believe, but anyway, but yeah. He I, is, but, but he's, a good, he's a good, he's a good, he's a good, as we say in French, he's a bon client, you know, he's yeah. always smiling to journalists, he's always well received, and he plays the game. And I think with Sampoli, if they if they start giving him shit in a press conference, he'll storm out. Or he'll just stop boycotting Canada Plus because he, he doesn't give a shit, he's there to do a job. Anyway, the, the second takeaway is Payet. Good goal. He then tries a lob and almost scores from 40 yards. But beyond that, did fuck all in the game. He's been awful this season. And suddenly, he turns up to the post-match press conference saying, "Oh, we're, you know, we're all there's a sense of togetherness since Lagier took over. A lot more solidarity. A lot more efforts are being made." And it's like, my God, you're just so fake. You, you, how dare you, after your poor season and after scoring in the game, come to the press and say, and, you know, start bombing your chest and saying, oh, we did all right. We, you know, yes, it's a shame we didn't win. Where were you when we were on that seven-game losing streak? You were hiding. You were sending your mate, Mombomba, to the press conferences. The poor guy was the only one brave enough to go and face the press and, and, and ask the negative performances. And you were nowhere to be fucking seen. And I just hate his attitude. And I'm, I'm done with him. I'm absolutely done with him. Yeah, I think we're all kind of fed up with, with Pirate now, aren't we? <laughs> this is the thing, as you said, Benny was shit last on Saturday, but then he scores a, a nice goal, great goal. Um, but other than that, he was absolutely shit, I thought. A few back heels there and there, but... For the most part, it was crap. Um, William, have you, is there any takeaway that you have from this game before we wrap it up and move on to the other topics? Like, what was what what, what was your final? What were you, what thought were you left with after this game? Oh. <laughs> How many games left? How many games left do we have until the end of the season? That was my, you know, how many games are like that are we gonna watch until the end of the season until we can finally move on? That was my uh, my thought. And I think, you know, just like for the top flops, uh, my top is 
Sakai for the for his red card. I think I'm tired of uh, Sakai. I think he needs to rest. So that was my top. <laughs> I want him to be replaced, and we, I want to see Lirola more because Lirola is is the, uh, is the, is exciting, and I'm looking forward to to having him more. And I'm hoping we're gonna renew his, or extend his contract. And uh, flop Mandanda. Obviously, we have to to uh, to put him as a flop. Um, I think it's uh, this game is the is the game that makes you say. I think Mandanda for him it's time to to do something else. He's our best goalkeeper for sure. He has been you know he's a legend in Marseille, but. He has to now. Uh, we have to move on from him, so it's time for us to find a, a goalkeeper that can that can be our next captain and next goalkeeper for the next five years. Do, do you, William, just on that, do do you think that our next goalkeeper was potentially playing for Nantes? Because I would love him, Albon Lafont. Yeah, yeah. There's actually some rumors about that. <clears throat> we can't so, yeah, afford him, no way. <laughs> yeah, we, we can't. Exactly. I would just think I agree with both your your choices there. I'm done with Sakai and Mandanda. To be honest, I'm ready to move on from both of them. I think that they've done their time, and I wouldn't renew Sakai's contract either if I was Longoria and I would be looking to replace Mandanda in the summer. I think it's time for a change. Um, Ben, if you get any tops and flops, or you want to just move on? I'm guessing well, I think flops. I, I, that was it. It was yeah. the flops. Yeah, that, um, was it. that was it. That was it. That was it. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so we'll move on then to um, Agoro. Um, so I, we did talk about this a little bit last week, but for those listeners who maybe didn't catch it last week or briefly just update again what, what this is referring to um, and then I'll let you guys kind of come in with the details um, and the, both of you know a lot more about this than me and are more involved in it. So about a week, couple of weeks ago we found out that the the club were, um, under, were launching a consultation with fans about um, oh, crap about like what it means to be a Marseille fan and kind of like you know what kind of behaviours and stuff are suitable and stuff and this really didn't go down well at all. Naturally, you can imagine people were quite offended that the club could try to define how you should be a fan and also that people could read between the lines and see what was really going on here. That this was clearly a part of a system, an attempt, really, let's say, to try and, and, and ride out or try and weave out, sorry, the, the types of Marseille fans that maybe the, the, the club, the the people that run the club maybe aren't so comfortable having um, anymore. Um, so just thinking back about the kind of difficulties that the president has had with supporters groups for the last few years and this sort of long, long, windy war of words and, and sanctions and so on that's been going on for the last few years. Um, you know, we mentioned a little bit about that last in the last episode last week. Um, in, in conjunction to this... Uh, consultation we also learned that supporters groups had been issued what was called a mise en demeure which is a, it's like a legal letter that sort of threatening legal action basically against the supporters groups um i'm not i'm not so familiar with what that 
really means as such. Um, my understanding, and maybe um, you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, Ben, this is like the equivalent of like what we call in UK law a letter before claim. It's like when you, you write to someone or a pre-action protocol letter or something, you want to get really legal. But exactly when you write to someone and you say, like, basically, we don't like what you're doing and if you do this or you don't change whatever, then we're going to you know, take legal action and make a claim against take a claim against you. Um, <laughs> well, is that that's pretty much <laughs> how you'd summarise it? Yeah, it it is. But um, interestingly, Ouvra had a very different definition for it. But I'll I'll, I'll develop. Okay, on that that's in a interesting. Bit. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to come back to that then. So yeah, so. In response to all this, um, this uh, there's been a huge campaign online um, from supporters to try and boycott um, the club. So things like unsubscribing from the club's social media accounts, um, from the sponsors, um, putting pressure on sponsors, um, various things like that going on. Um, I think not watching games is one of, was one of the things that I've read about. Lots of different activities going on to try and... Um, yeah, well, to fight back, to um, to show some resistance against um, these measures, which are essentially looking to, as we talked about in the last episode, sort of, it's, it's like a cleansing um, exercise, we said, didn't we, that it was, um, it was like they were trying to get rid of the supporters groups. So there's been a huge backlash, and even I think we've even seen like local politicians, like the mayor and deputy mayor, coming out and being quite critical of the club, saying things like that they... Um, the condition of, of the the sale of the velodrome would be that the supporters groups are allowed to enter the stadium, things like that. Um, it's gotten very, very political. It's got probably I, I can't imagine it's it's um, received the how would you say the response that the club were hoping for. Surely this must be they must be thinking this has gone down catastrophically. I would have thought, but maybe perhaps you think this is what they want to see happening. Who knows? But yeah, guys, I just want to hear what your thoughts are on this um, and the, the developments that we've seen over the last week since we last discussed this, and then we'll kind of get into the details more about what's been going on. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the intro, Steph. The, so I think if we were to summarise and try to be uh, concise on, on the, the situation Let's take a step back. I think, you know, if you look at Jacques Henriero and, and uh, Hugo Vra, the way they, they perceive and the way they're going is they're expecting um, the fans to buy popcorn at the stadium, to buy, uh, you know, the, every year the, the New Jersey, to um, support the team, whatever happened. And to to shut up if we if we don't if we're not happy with the, the performance. I think that there is a conception of uh, a a fan in in their way of uh, football, and, and that's pretty much. And again, no offense to you know the the U.S. market and so on, but that's pr- pretty much essentially how the uh, you know sports in U.S. Uh, um, lo- um, is, is looking, right? You know, consume, support, and shut up. That's essentially how they want to do it. And and again. They're trying little by little trying to apply that model into into France and Marseille, obviously. Um, but as you can imagine, this model doesn't apply to to us. And this is the um, so that, that's essentially what they're trying to do. Um, I think you know if you look at the the, the way you know protest uh, the protest is going is um, every fan 
you know, every club, uh, every fan clubs uh, were worried about uh, being um, not unified anymore. And I think this uh, event made us realize that, hey, we are all behind our club and we have to, to be together. And that's a major uh, thing to, uh, to, to, to highlight. There's unity around across all the, the, the fan groups and across all the fans around the globe. And that's what we are demonstrating. So just I'm, I'm just taking on, on our behalf in Australia. We, we decided to, uh, to, to take an action to, uh, to, to, pull up, to pull out some banners at Albert Park. Which is the uh, um, the, uh, the the park in the main park in Melbourne where the Formula One Grand Prix in Australia happens every year. So we we created some banners uh, talking about uh, you know McCourt uh, closing him to to sell the club. Uh, we talked about uh, Jacques Hero obviously to 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 get fired, um, and then we also issued a, a press release. Um, and in our press release, we really highlighted that. Um, uh, that we have to stay unified. We have to keep this movement going. We have to massively, uh, again, unfollow each um, uh, official um, social media accounts from the club. And um, I, we also talk about uh, Jacques Henriero as, again, the uh, the um, a, a so-called MBA from Harvard University who pretends that he's the, uh, the new... Elon Musk of football, um, and in fact, is is actually a, uh, a Elon Musk from uh, you know the uh, Euro Disney, who uh, you know again used to uh, to run uh, b- before moving uh, into uh, into Marseille. So you know when you look at this um, his career, and and also when you look at Ouvra's career, um, you can see that those guys are disconnected from from the actual football industry in, in, in Europe. They, they're coming from a totally uh, separate background. Uh, Ouvra comes from uh, e-gaming uh, or e-sports, as you want to say. So he, he's trying to apply the e-sports um, logic and, and way of doing into the, the actual football. Uh, and that, you know, if you hear his last uh, interview, he's talking about direct marketing, uh, CRM, you know, is trying to uh, to to, to uh, get feedback from from customers, but that doesn't work in in our um, in our in our model, especially in in this current uh, situation. And then you look at Jacques Hero, who is uh, who calls himself an entrepreneur, um, who promotes himself uh, for buying Payet at forty million euro. Um, as one of the best uh, uh, player in in the European football, um, yeah, there's definitely a, a, um, a misalignment between what they think they are and, and the reality, and uh, that's what we are calling out with our recent actions, and we will, we will continue. Um, I will pause here. If you guys have any uh, anything to add. No, William, I think you've, you've been a part of, of the, you know, we have a WhatsApp group with the Everion Nations and, and hi to them all. Um, and very happy that all of us are in agreement that things at the club are, are, are very bad. Um, it's gotten almost catastrophic. Um, and we, we all agree on that. And um, salute to, to everybody taking action around the world. 
whether or not you belong to a group, it's, I think there's a, a huge wave of support and, and unification of all the fans against the errors and repeated errors that are continuing to be made at this club. Um, and, and it's, you know, they are all crystallized by one person, which is Jacques Riero. Um, and none of us can understand why McCourt hasn't sacked him despite pissing all his cash away in, over the last few years and stuff. But now with this wave of pressure that is, is really personal now, and he, and he made it personal when he, when he you know, went on wild theories about why he, he doesn't want to hire people from Marseille or because they get, they, they're unproductive if we lose a game and stuff. He has is, he is completely fucked up his, his PR. He's, he's completely alienated all of the fan base. Um, and and he he should now have the sense to walk away. He, he, the, the guy, you know, he's got to the point where when he travels to Marseille, he has to lie in the back seat of a car with free body cards. It, it's it's like when are you going to cut your losses and realise your life is actually in danger? Because sadly, there are maniacs out there. Huh? And also, when are you going to have some pride and realise that you've turned everybody against you and you cannot continue to to work in these conditions? He has to go. Well, I, I just wanted to, to, you know, expose how absolutely disconnected these guys are. Um, so we, we, we asked for a manager as part of the Iron Nation guys to get a, a meeting with, with Hugo Vrard on Friday. And uh, he did a session in the morning and then a session in the evening. Um, and I was on, on the evening session with Tel Aviv, Dubai, uh, Barcelona, um, Miami, Casablanca. There were there were, there were thirteen or fourteen of us. Anyway, uh, it was it was just ludicrous. I mean, he. I mean, I don't think I don't really have anything against the guy. Um, and and I'll go as far as saying, I feel sorry for him because he's landed in this world of shit that was already bad before he arrived, and and I think he's possibly contributed to making it worse. But it was already bad before he arrived. Um, but he, poor guy looked exhausted and he he just looked like he he was burning the candle at both ends and he he was you know absolutely overwhelmed with with work and and all of the pressure um and just the way he started off the meeting by con- you know by immediately posing themselves as the victims of i hope you'll realize that the events of the commanderie were with the last draw it's unacceptable. We had to take action. It's like, okay, you, you took action. People were arrested. Why, why are you now looking to the self groups? Because it turns out that very few people who got arrested and, and very few people who were actually there were actually there as part of the groups. So why are you, why are you attacking them, punishing everybody when it was a, a few, a handful of individuals? Um, and of course, we all condemn the violence, but it's like, what, what are you doing? You know, you're supposed to be, 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 calming people down and, um, you know, extending a hand. And you're sending out these letters which where you're threatening to take away the convention which links you to the, the fan groups. And this is where it gets interesting on what we were discussing earlier, Steph. His answer to that was the letter is, is an invitation to come back to the table. And it's like, what? So, so you've, you've gone to the well you've obviously gone down the route of, of making formal complaints to the police to make sure people get arrested you've had apparently had conversations he did repeat this to us he's had conversations with the fan groups after the incident asking for for justification and asking who was involved and stuff um which didn't go anywhere 
and then then you, you, you close the door by sending them a very strong worded legal letter and you're you're basically saying come back to the table let's talk but you you're now holding a gun against their heads that's the equivalent this is the problem here is that the, there is no fan ownership of the club that's that's the issue there because if 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 the fans had if we had a system where the club where fans could pay in you know like you've got in other clubs like Barcelona and some German and clubs and stuff yeah, and Germany yeah. I know that I know there's been attempts to do this many times for years at Marseille but um the socio to establish a socio system if you had something like that then you, you it would avoid this sort of um relationship where it basically is the owners and they're like we own the club we're willing to let you come and have a conversation with us if you know and they, they but we're not they, obliged to listen yeah, yeah exactly they, they're, they're controlling that relationship so really the fans have no power then in that dialogue yeah, I think um, I think the socios thing is difficult. I don't think there's actually a legal standing for it in France. I think there's a, there's a legal paradox that means it couldn't legally work, but I don't have details on that. It's just something I read. Um, but anyway, look, I, I, I'm not going to. You guys can can read the extracts of the meeting, but it was just it was just embarrassing. I mean, he you know we all put pressure on him on what the fuck are the results of the club? How do you justify the financial losses? How are we going to recover from this? McCourt's only worth one billion. The debt is around, you know, 150 billion. How's he going to? How's he going to inject money into it? He's broke, and he, he just kept deflecting. Um, you know, he, he was saying that they don't want to dissolve the groups. They're just trying to put a bit of pressure on them, and it's like, well, it's not helping. It's not helping at all. Um, he he actually had a bit of an outburst when someone said, "You're you're Parisian. You don't get it." He kicked off. It was quite funny. Bless him. Um, how dare you say that? Yeah, he just went on a massive sort of shouting rant about, I'm not Parisian. My granddad's from Marseille, blah, blah, blah. And he just descended into, into chaos. Um, and, and there was just no outlook. They, the, the, the underlying message from the meeting was they're convinced they're in the right. They think that they've got the plan and they've got God's given gifts and, and business savvy to... to make this successful and to do it their way um, and they don't seem to understand just how personal and how bad they are they are not wanted anymore and and that meeting led to london uh, nation and a few other nations leaving and others expressing their their desire to you know put themselves take a step back from the program um, and i think it's sadly you know, even though it's something, it's actually one of the rare good things Eero has done at Marseille, a nation, give a banner to all the fans around the world and officialise them and give them a relationship mm. with the club. The problem is it's tainted with Eero. And, and as far as London are concerned, we can't ever go back as long as he's there and they don't change the name of this programme that's forever tainted. Yeah. The more I think about it, like this is such a complex subject, to be honest. Everyone's in agreement that they don't want this to see this happening. Everyone's in agreement that the club's in crisis. Everyone's in agreement that the the president needs to go. That the club isn't being run as how it needs to be. I guess the club uh, it needs a change of leadership. But this whole like agora om exercise is much. Uh, 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 when you start like picking at it, it's actually much much more complex because you've got like 
you know this kind of interesting relationship with with the with the fans and the club, but then you've got this the, this particular relationship with the local community and the club um, and what the club represents to to some of those people, um, and then you've got this club and and it's its owner, its president, or um, you know its management that are look that are trying to essentially um, modernise the club, they're trying to globalise it, um, they're trying to put in place changes that they, that's going to make the club more powerful, more prosperous. OM Nation is a part of that, you know, and and in many ways, and understandably, lots of fans will resent those kind of changes, right? And I'm, I'm, I should, I just say, I'm not like justifying. I got all the, you know, the, the measures to restrict the supporters groups or by saying that, but I'm just saying that there's a lot of really complex things going on here, and like a long history of of struggles between those two parties, between the groups, the fans, and 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 the owners, and. It's just it's it's got so deep that it's just it's really hard now to to see any sort of resolution happening under this current ownership. I'll, I'll finish. Yeah, I'll finish with with basically what I said to to on the call, which was, uh, look, you've it's gone too far now. You, what what's going to happen if the fans boycott? You're going to lose all the income. You won't get shirt sales. You won't get ticket receipts when the stadium does reopen. You fact it. Where do you go from here? But also. To, to back to all you've just said, Steph, and, and I'll, I'll say this and hand over to you guys after. It's just some of those ideas are right. You're, you're, you're completely correct. The club needed to be restructured commercially, needs to be modernised, etc. But what it comes down to, and this is what I finished with when I spoke to Ra, was right ideas, awful execution. Uh, that's exactly what I'm trying to say as well. My final point was just kind of as Ben sort of suggested there already is that even if the ownership goes, you know, if McCourt goes, Ero goes, the 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 fear is now though that they've done so much damage that this is this is long lasting, this is infinite that it might not be repairable for it in the future that the club might never be the same and and any new owners or management structure might never be able to. To bring back that kind of relationship, you could end up losing a lot of supporters. Um, it's not impossible, you know. I I just think it, it's it could be irreparable in many ways. But yeah, sorry, William, on you go. No, no, it's okay. I I agree with all the, the things you said. I think the if you, if you take a step back, it's okay for a club to to be modernized. It's okay for, and I think they are, this is the right thing to do. You have to modernize every club. You have to adapt, uh, you know, new technologies to a club. You know, CRM and marketing and digitization and things like that. This is okay. However, you can't change the DNA of a club. You can't, you know. Again, a club has got assets and DNA. Marseille has got is a, is the largest, uh, the biggest club in France. We won the Champions League. We have a, a motto. Which is Droite but We have a city behind. Uh, there's millions of fans. You can't disrupt that. And, and, and I, my, my, my question is actually, you know, outside of Aero, and, and again, Aero is the worst president that uh, the, the French football had ever. The question I have, and we know he, he has to go, the question I have is what, what is Frank Marcoud doing? He's managing an investment fund. It's a family business. They've been managing it for over 100 years. He's making billions of dollars. He's managing billions of dollars. He's, you know, you go on his website, he talks about 
investment into uh, you know real estate innovation media it talks about uh, helping empowering society and, and community around the investment and that makes sense for Marseille right because you know Marseille is the it has got a you know strong fan base. It's got a, um, a community, so I get the investment on the initial place, but you want to make money, right? And any entrepreneur or smart people that invest in something, they're not going to disrupt everything. You know, you look at your assets. What is your product? You know, the largest French football. You know, we won the Champions League. There's uh, you know uh, people behind. We have a big differentiator, which is we won the Champions League, and and we we have millions. We have the, the best uh, club and and the highest support fan base uh, in France and worldwide. We the demand is we want to we want the the team to perform. What I why are you trying to to change that? That's what I'm trying to understand. You know why are you trying to to remove the the group fans, the fan groups? You're trying to uh, to disrupt the club. So my my biggest question is you know what is Marco doing? If you want to sell the club, I get it. If you want to sell it for half a billion dollars, well, you're not going to do, be able to do that if you try to change the DNA of the club. Because the DNA, if you want to sell it for half a billion dollars, you have to leverage the assets. And the assets, again, pull us, uh, change the team, um, you know, remove Aero. And again, I, I, call, I called out on RMC after foot uh, on Saturday night. I said, guys, if you're a president, if you have a team around you, go and reach out to McCourt to, to propose a project that will enable McCourt to sell the club within five years. That's what we have to do. Because otherwise, we're going to be in a situation where we'll, uh, we'll stay and, 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 you know, the fan base is going to be, you know, the more we go towards this, the situation, McCourt is not going to sell the club because we'll have less people following the club. The team performance is going to be poor, so we're going to miss Champions League. We're going to miss the, um, you know, the new um, uh, league in Europe, the Super League, as we call it. We, you know, if I was Makut, I would be worried right now. And I would actually start to think, hey, what is Aero doing? And, I, and that's my, my question, Mark. You know, why is it that Aero is still there with everything that happens? In what world are they living? Or does Makut want to retire and maybe he's, he's actually... You know, he's 67 years old. Maybe he doesn't have any interest anymore. And he's trying to to step back. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. I think that's probably one of the reasons why people are constantly um, pulling out these rumours about him selling the club because they just can't really understand why he's not sacked the president, why he's not intervened. Um, I, I don't know if this is correct, but I read stuff that, that Eho is... Um, is tied up in some of his real estate plans in, in, in Marseille and in France, and maybe that's why he can separate from him because he's um, a think, business partner. Sorry, and, so just to correct you, I think, I think the stories are that he's actually a shareholder of the club. That's, I think that's the claims people are making, apparently. That's worrying. So like, well, do we, we know we like, to what extent? Because uh, like, 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 he doesn't have that yeah. much money, does he? Well, it's, we, we asked this to, to Ouvrard as well. I think it was um, Renan from Dubai who asked him. He said, look, if you have a million quid tomorrow, would you invest 300 million of it into a, sorry, 300 grand into a football club? And, and the answer is no. 
No, you wouldn't, because you know that it's a financial pit. You know, you're going to burn a lot more money before it actually turns around and works. And you've got to, you do have to have, you know, shrewd investment and business sense for it to work. But you also have to win on the pitch. And that's what this, this, this leadership seems to be completely fucking neglecting is they're talking about it and the way they're, they're, the terms that they're using and stuff, OM Prime and OM Nation and all of this, they're treating it like it's some sort of fucking amusement park. You know, wink, wink. But it's a football club and a football team needs to win on the pitch. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I think we, we, we go, we, we're, we're switching a bit. But the, again, the our, our whole position is we, we want... Um, Marco to to speak to to tell us what he wants to do. I think that that was, that's what we expect. We no doubt that we want Euro out. That's no no brainer. But we we would like Marco to to speak out and and be honest. Even if you want to sell the club, just just say it loudly or or say something. Um, and whatever you know, regardless of the, of Euro having some shares in the club, you have to do something. It's Euro has been there for five years. In any businesses or any businesses worldwide, any corporation, if you have a manager that has been there for five years and and the club is losing money and the club has not been performing, you have to get to to replace him. That's that's as simple as that. And that's that's again a question mark on how much Marcot is is now involved in his business. Is he is it just like relying on his leadership team at, at in in US to to look after the investments, or is it just delegating everything to to Aero? Maybe, but but again, he is the boss. Marco is the boss. He's the one managing the money. Um, he, and again, if you want to sell the club, you have to change something. That's as simple as that. Again, in any businesses, um, any corporation, you have to do that. You have a five-year plan. So we, again, I repeat myself, any, I call any former presidents or any people that are interested in football, I've got some great ideas that are applying to, to soccer, go on macquote.com, reach out to the leadership team and propose a five-year plan to, to macquote on how he's going to sell the club in five years and how he's going to sell the club for half a billion dollars, which is what he wants to do. That's as simple as that. Um, again, on the, on the latest news about you know, the new coach and Longoria, if I think it's good, maybe. I think on paper it looks good. However, again, if there's no clear leadership if we, if we if there's no clear plan over five years, it doesn't make sense. I'm, you know, we, we're not going. It's going to be a repeat. And I think you know, having some Pauli as a coach is going to attract. It's, I think it's a smart move for Aero and Uva because it's going to attract the attention towards the, the coach. But behind the scene, the the crap is still there. So we're going to end up in a situation. And and as fans, we have we have to be aware that. San Paoli is just like a, a little piece of the puzzle, and it um, should not uh, um, divert us from uh, our action, which is a road to be out. I agree about your analysis of the, the San Paoli appointment. Um, I do think, um, I mean, we talked about San Paoli in the last episode, and I think the one before that even, but um, I do think. Um, he will be a good distraction. He will take the attention away from, from the president. Um, and I do think that he isn't. He, to me, he doesn't seem like a good long term appointment. He's not going to be there long term. He'll probably come in, 
not do very well till the end of the season. Maybe have a good season next season once he gets his pre-season underway. Um, and we'll start playing some exciting football and there'll be lots of drama, no doubt, because of the kind of character he is. And then it'll probably all fall apart and it'll end really, really badly. It'll probably um, somewhere at the start of his um, second full season. It'll be, I think it'll be a bit like Bielsa. And maybe the events are a bit similar to when um, Margarita uh, Louis-Dreyfus um, pointed Bielsa. Um, it was like a last throw of the dice, maybe, to try and, like, reignite something in the club some excitement some you know to wing it maybe like we've got no money we need someone who can come in and work miracles in some sort of way with um limited finances and with the, the squad that we've got maybe and get them playing really exciting football and maybe pull it off maybe this is a bit like what they're hoping with some Pauli is that this is a guy that they think might be able to if it, it might i mean the chances are small but then there's a small chance it might just work it might just pull it off for a little bit and then after that, what next? There's not, there's nowhere else to go because there's not got any money to bring in anyone more stable. Yeah, I just there was a point that you made, um, William. Just wanted to to come back on, and it's just thinking about again with McCourt. Like, surely there, there's a board of directors. I don't know what the club structure is like. Is there not a board that sits around and talks about decisions and? whether or not he is just a president or he is a shareholder, surely there's a board that sits around with him on it that says, even if he's on it, and says, this isn't working, mate, you have to go. Like, who is um, who's appraising him? Who's who, who's assessing the club and and how it's been run? Who and There's got to be an outs- a group outside of the, the very people that run it day-to-day that are sitting reviewing it and making decisions. What's happening? I, I I may be wrong, but I I, I think didn't Macross a couple of years ago put one of his sons or nephews or someone related to him in charge of some sort of mini you know mini board away from the board um, to, to to manage yeah to supervise the day to day. I mean I, that, I think I'm I'm correct and I might be getting the the family relation wrong, but my understanding is that one of his sons is is paying more close attention to it. Isn't that right? So, yeah, look, I think a few things. So when you look at the leadership team at McCourt, um, obviously there's a large team. You know, you have a CFO, chief financial officer, there's a, a general counsel, uh, you know, you have a uh, HR officer. So you've got all the uh, different, uh, I guess, key verticals of any organization. But then you see things like head of real estate, head of, uh, you know, investors, investments, but you don't have a head of sports. So the, the way they structure the organization, it's really focusing on, on the, the key verticals of uh, macro, which is, you know, real estate, financials, investments, etc. But you don't have verticals specific to sports. And, and, and you actually see that Jacques-Henri is directly reporting to, he has a direct relationship to macro, which is a bit odd. Right, because there should be actually someone in between for this kind of organization. Uh, what's also concerning but, is but William, when you William, look... just just on that, sorry, yeah. just on that point, Ero has actually eliminated all of the other people who were intermediaries because Didier Poulmer was there originally. Um, there was another guy. Who was the other guy? I can't remember his name, but there were there were two other people who were in direct relation with Macron when he bought the club. 
and little by little Eros eliminated them. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I remember DJ Puma. He was the one that he, with DJ Kyo. I think DJ Kyo was at the time the uh, in charge of the um, the French league, and he was uh, trying to uh, attract uh, um, foreign investors to come in in Ligue 1 to invest. And and his speech was, "Hey guys, we we need investors. We are about to sign an agreement with Media Pro for over a billion dollar of TV rights." There's a lot of capital in, in Liga, you need to come in. And I think DJ Pulmer was facilitating the, the transaction with McCourt. And, and your, your point is right. DJ Pulmer was supposed to be the, the, um, the president of Marseille during the, the transaction. And, and, and then Euro came in and, and took over. You're right. And, and, and the, other point, the other point I wanted to, to say is, you know, if you look at McCourt, uh, history and again, uh, we, we are moving into a different different direction here. But he's 67 years old. He has been in his he's been running the business for a while. He's been really successful. Again, he sold the Dodgers for the baseball team in um, in, in his city for, for over two billion dollars, and he has done a lot of money. But he also had a divorce recently. He has he had that, he has had some personal circumstances that uh, made me think that he's probably a bit. Uh, Tired right now, and he's probably like stepping back a little bit, a little bit, and that's also probably why we haven't heard him uh, recently. And and maybe his, his leadership team is as the one is the one like uh, managing on behalf of uh, McCourt, and they are like, hey, we don't understand football, we don't understand what's going on in Marseille, we just rely on Euro, and Euro seems to because Euro is a very charismatic guy, he's very smart, he talks very well. They probably rely on Euro to. And, and think that he's doing the right thing. That would be my, my biggest assumption. Okay. Um, just to be a bit nitpicky, I'm pretty sure Didier Pulmer, um, when he was involved, when the club was transitioning from one owner to the other, that, that question came up about him being president and he denied it quite categorically that he wouldn't be president. He's a lawyer and he wasn't he had no plans to become president of the club. It's what I remember, but unless there's other layers to that story that I'm not aware of but I didn't think he would, that was ever a reality I think that I thought that was just a rumour um, that he could potentially um, be involved in the you know the organ the organisation structure and as a, in, in terms of running it um, I don't know is there anything I, I'm, I'm just mindful of time because it's probably getting quite late um, is there anything final you just want to say bef- to wrap up like any sort of final thought on on this situation like maybe like where do you see it going i suppose but we we, you know we can either we can either i I was very convinced by ben jacobs last week and thanks again for him for joining us last week and (laughs) optimistically want to put a lot of faith in what he said last week but um you know hopefully that's that's the ideal way it goes the saudis come in and, and make us a super rich oil club with a really good leadership team and restructure the club and, and we start competing for trophies again. But the other way is, uh, I, I think with all hope that it all sees his senses and, and walks away if he doesn't get fired. But sadly, I don't see that happening. And I see next season being, being the absolute implosion of the club. Um, because again, back to your earlier point about Sampoli, he is a smokescreen. They're bringing him in because he's going to, 
um, monopolises the media attention and the fan attention, and hopefully he monopolises the fan attention for a good performance on the pitch. But because we're going to see a mass exodus this summer of players to refill the, the you know, the, the accounts, sadly, I think he's going to be very limited with, with his squads. Um, and I think it, it's all going to fall apart come November, December. I predict Sampoli walking away in a fit of rage and everything just falling apart. Everybody having enough and, and it, it just completely imploding. It all sticking around until he, he gets fired at the end of the season and that inevitably because he would have finished completely devaluing the assets. And I just think that we're 18 months away from seeing the end of this regime sadly and it, it should end today it all should walk away but it's not going to happen because we all know his his ego prevents him from doing so okay william what would you what how do you see this ending yeah it's, it's difficult to predict uh, anything in that situation i think the um i think we as any fan we are always optimistic and we want to be optimistic and say everything is going to be good and we're going to be bought by a uh, a large uh, uh, in, in investment group like Saudi Arabia, and and but uh, I think we we want to again the message here is whatever happens next, we have to continue our um, as fans we have to continue our movement, we have to continue putting pressure on on Euro and on, and especially on my court. Uh, I'm what I'm optimistic especially on is the involvement of politics in that uh, because again the club is really tied to. And the city, you know, the, the club and the city are really tied together. And there's a lot of interest from politics to, to ensure that there's peace between the club and the city. Um, what I'm also hopeful is, you know, Macron is our president of France. He's a big fan of Marseille. I just can't see him, uh, you know, let the club uh, go bad. And, and I'm hoping he's going to reach out or someone from the government is going to reach out to uh, to Macron to... Um, to, to try to, to, to make him decide to, to move on and, and, and get rid of Jack Henriot. And, and maybe in the short term, again, we have to move into a new, um, uh, you know, president and new uh, strategy team replacing Hero for the next five years. So at least, you know, he can, you know, in, in five years, we, he can finally sell the club for the right price. And, and then we can start in a new project. Um, I, I just don't see Saudi Arabia buying, buying the club um, because they're not going to buy, you know, for half a billion dollars as Macron wants. And I think they will probably wait until the, uh, the price is, Macron decides to, to sell for a reasonable price. So, um, yeah, the, uh, football-wise, you know, performance-wise, the, the team is going to be, it's going to be difficult to watch them. I, I expect, you know, the, most of the last games to be difficult to watch, even with San Paoli or not. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going with Ben. I predict some probably to, uh, to, to leave the club uh, within 12 months, uh, but because he's gonna freak out. And, and I, I would, I would love to see uh, some Pauli get into a fight with uh, Aero or Uva. Uh, that would be so funny to watch. Oh, guys, how depressing is this? Um, I, I have to say, like I, I'm reluctantly agreeing with you both that I think that. Yeah, they're, they're, we're not going to get sold 
any this season. No, it's going to take. It's probably going to take a couple of years at least. I mean, McCourt isn't going to be there long term. He's not going to be there forever. He's already been here for what five years, nearly four and a half years. I don't think he's going to be there for another five years. But I think we're probably going to be stuck with him for another couple of years. And I, yeah, I feel that as you said, Ben, there's there's so many players going to leave in the summer. Half our players are on loan, it seems like, so they're all probably going to go because we don't have any money to, to buy them permanently and they're all crap, all the ones on loan anyway. We've got guys leaving on free transfers and lots of deadwood that we can't sell. It doesn't look good, it looks very bleak and it does. you're right that the next season or two seasons could be really, really tough and I am actually fearing we could end up in a real crisis, like getting relegated or something, if it gets that bad. I mean, we have to see what happens over the summer in terms of who goes and who comes, and in, in the in the squad. And um, but yeah, just just looking ahead at all the possibilities, it looks a very worrying picture. It's, it's very unstable. I mean, and that's Marseille for you, though, isn't it? It's, it's hardly the most stable club. Um, but this is obviously. An exceptional time, even for Marseille standards, this is as bad as I, I think this is as unstable as I can remember it since probably around about, was it 2000, the early 2000s, when we were in a right fucking shithole. You, yeah, so I, I just feel like um, it's a very, a very worrying time and I'm, yeah, like you guys, I'm a bit worried, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm feeling the worst. Um, in terms of what's going to happen with the supporters after all this, I'd like to think that when McCool, because I, I, I don't know if they're going to come to a resolution right now with the current owner, the current the current president, to try and find a way for the fans to be the the groups to enter the stadium and for things to continue as normal as much as they can. I don't know. It's hard to see at the moment. And when Eho and uh, McCool go, you know how much that is going to be left for these groups to sort of come back and and to continue like where they were before well you know where they left off i don't i don't know i'm i'm kind of feeling that because there's clubs like real madrid and and i think barcelona as well and a few other big clubs across europe like really really big clubs that also the the, the owners the ownership of the clubs made it uh what's the word they, they they laid plans to destroy the ultras and they got rid of them for good so I know Marseille likes to, the fans like to consider themselves unique, but actually there are other clubs across Europe that have had pretty radical fan bases that have that have lost the ultra movement to some extent. So for me, I, I would I, I'm not sure it's ever going to be quite the same if it doesn't get fixed under the current owners. If they don't sort this out now between the groups and, and, and the president now, then I wonder in the long term, it might never be quite what it was um, anyway, that's that's all from me I think that's probably all from the podcast as well yeah, so just to say, thank, thanks everyone for listening um, and thanks guys for, for joining me tonight thank you William for joining us um, I hope you enjoyed the show, I know it wasn't the most cheery of topics that we got to cover tonight, it was pretty miserable both on the pitch and off the pitch um, so yeah, but maybe in the future we'll, um, you can come back in, in happier times Yeah, thank, thanks so much guys I was, uh, really enjoyed the discussion and uh, I hope next time when we speak we'll talk about uh, football and, and the team performance and, and, and that's my biggest wish um, but yeah, let's see let, let's keep uh, 
being optimistic and, and hope for the best for our team. And, and, and thank you so much for having me. And, and I really enjoyed and I'm looking forward to listening to the, the next podcast on, on your channel. Thanks. And um, I have to say, I, I take my hat off to you for getting up and podcasting at seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Very That's <brave>. all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you, guys, and good night. Thanks, guys. Good night.